good morning um, or good afternoon for some of you and welcome to Webinar Wednesday. We're excited to share with you today. Today we have Kim Dixon. She's one of our newer consultants here and specializes in um, purchasing and she's going to share with us some of purchasing best practices. We also have Ed here who's going to um, help us in the Q&A section as well. Um, today um, Kim and I are going to be running this presentation and Kim has been working for more than she has more than 18 years of working with semi-custom home builder and she started out in IT and process management and quickly became a director of builder training before becoming a director of purchasing as a consultant with consulting she excels at purchasing negotiations processes scheduling and quality control so with that I'm going to pass this on over to Kim um, well, Ed, do you want to take it away for her while we uh, make sure that she gets logged back in? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> it's always good to have redundant systems. Oh, by the way, that slide is talking about redundant systems. How about that? Um, a couple of years ago, we had a lot of builders that started going sole source um, and negotiating with either suppliers, vendors, trade contractors, whatever. Um, and it really became a way to leverage uh, controlling cost. However, what it did is we started sole sourcing and we didn't have a backup. Before the, the lumber crisis, I had a lot of builders start trying to cut deals with lumber, lumber companies to try and get a better deal. And then we start having shortages and we were sole sourced. It was horrible. Uh, the resource management only having one trade or one supplier per cost code was a disaster for us. It really became a problem. Chuck taught me a long time ago the, the value of the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule is 80% of your, any trade should not have any more than 80% of your work and nobody should have less than 20. So the, it could be 75-25, 60-40, whatever, but have the discipline, I don't care what size you are, to start spreading the work around. Framers, for example, I may give them some work, um, give them the same house over and over again so I can get their cost down. Then I can leverage that saying, Hey, if you can get you now you workforce and see, you know, a cost of doing business, can you lower that price a little bit? I can give you more houses. So the, the whole idea is resource management, make sure you have enough trades. Two years ago, we were coming, if we went into it without that, that, that idea, you got in trouble. Right now, it's a good idea to start asking around. A couple of reasons. One is manpower, get the crews. Two is can, can I start leveraging the other trades to get the price down, more manpower, everything else. Um, not to mention, the last two years we had supply issues. If you were sole sourced, you're you're in big big trouble. Uh, Emma Jane, next slide, please. Onboarding. <clears throat> so, as you work on recruiting trades, I want to also think about how do I onboard those trades. Um, I want to have a really good uh, recruiting process and a really good onboarding process. If you model your onboarding very similar to how you onboard an employee, you'll do well. Onboarding, purchasing may be on point. Maybe production was on point. Maybe they were the ones to find the trade. It really doesn't matter, but I want both production and purchasing both to share in that process, okay? So if purchasing finds them, and, I, and purchasing goes out and finds it, I'll pick on framers today, it seems like a good choice. If I go out and find a, a, a new framer and I recruit them, I do all my due diligence, and I roll them out and force them on a superintendent, it's, it's kind of tough. Um, the superintendents can be resistant. Um, so can the production team. But if we do it as a team and we go in and look and, and make sure that they're the right people um, and everything else, 
I can easily transition that. Um, I think I'm not 100% sure, but I think Kim made it back in. Yes, sorry about that, everybody. We're having some thunderstorms up here and I'm, internet was knocked out, so. You're, so, you're on the phone? Yes, I'm on my cell phone. <laughs> so, all right, take it away, Kim. All right, so as a purchasing department, for me, there's nothing more frustrating than we sign up a new trade and they quit after the first job, or even worse, they don't complete one job because your supers are resistant to trying those new trades. I heard Ed kind of talk about working as a team. And so for a good onboarding process, you wanna be able to track that trades um, process. Well, not process, but anyway, his throughout the process going from, hey, we signed him up. Here's the first job he's assigned to. Now he's on, the, on site. Did he get finished and did he get paid? And I actually, I wanna do that best practices for three jobs because I can say that if he successfully starts and finishes three jobs, then I've, I've done a good job. Then I've actually signed up a new trade. If I don't track it through that process and see what our turnover is in our trade base, then I don't know if I'm really making any progress. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, we actually used a process that tracked from recruiting all the way through that third job. And I find that that's gonna give you the best results in recruiting new trades. Next, Emma Jane. Okay, scopes of work, guys. So when was yours last updated? When, when I stepped into purchasing in my old world, I pulled out our scopes of work. And when I saw that our HVAC scope still said free on in it, I realized we had a small problem, right? So it was time to update. And when you go to update your scopes of work, you want to remember that you're not in a silo. Um, your scopes of work is, is a real big collaboration project. You want to involve your super, your warranty, and a lot of other details and parts and pieces when you go to rewrite your scopes. Next. Imogen, yeah, thorough. We don't want to leave anything to assumption. We know what assuming does. I'm not going to say it but you wanna make sure that your scopes of work are clear, concise, to the point, and very detailed. Next is easy to read. We work with a lot of builders that when I go to look at scopes of work, it kind of reads like a novel, not a good novel, right? It's five or six pages of just paragraph after paragraph. And that's the one where you actually had to go through and kind of highlight what was actually a to-do item versus just text. So you wanna think when you're rewriting your scopes, updating, you wanna think bullet points. Bullet points are very easy for your brain to, to realize that, hey, this is something I need to do, something that needs to be accomplished. So think bullet points, pictures are fantastic. Next is enforced. Seems like an obvious one, right? But rules become suggestions if you don't enforce them. And I know you know, my purchasing team used to ask all the time, how do I enforce it? I'm sitting behind a desk up in the office. Enforcement starts at setting the right expectation up front, training your supers and your trades on what's expected, and then follow through on, on variance review. It's, it's holding them accountable. You can take a three-strike approach. You know, first time's my fault. Maybe I didn't set the right expectation, Joe the framer. Second time is our fault. Maybe you misunderstood what I said. So we're going to go over it again. But third time, you own it. 
third time I'm going to enforce it. I'm going to hold the line and I'm not going to accept that variance order due to a scope of work that he didn't finish. Ed, do you have any comments on this? Yeah, again, um, here's, here's where the team comes into play. One of the things that I learned a long time ago, to Kim's point, is a team effort. And I want to make sure that both sides understand from the office, purchasing can't enforce much. Um, we, and Kim's point, if I see an invariance, I can, I can you know, step up and say, I'm not paying that, that's in the scope. What I did a long time ago is purchasing may be holding and signing the contracts. So what we did is I made my production team, my superintendent and the foreman of the crew actually countersign every scope. Now they own it. I don't want to hear any stories why somebody doesn't know what it is. Kim also and I, him and her and I are both a fan of where are the scopes? Um, we did 10 superintendent seminars last year. Out of the 10, all the super says it's in the cloud, but I don't have access to them. What the hell good is that? Right, Kim? Yes, that doesn't do anybody any good. And another part is too, you know, if you have a very high percentage of your of your workforce that's that's Spanish speaking, then you need to have them translated into Spanish so that that's easily available. If they can't read it, then you can't hold them accountable to it. So we want to make sure that's translated for those guys as well. Absolutely. Okay, next is variance review. So how often are you reviewing variances? Is it monthly? Um, if so, that's too overwhelming. It's too much data. And what you're going to find is that you're just glossing over the information, going, yes, it's legitimate. No, it's not. And that's where it ends. It's not an ideal situation. It doesn't help anybody. Um, daily? is the opposite problem. You don't have enough information. You don't have enough data in front of you and you're gonna miss those recurring problems. Best practices is once a week. Um, in my previous life, we set up a variance review process that once a week actually brought the entire purchasing team into the conference room. I brought a super and a production manager and we set and reviewed variances from, the, from that week. Sorry guys. Um, so we reviewed variances for that week and I actually assigned them. So if it was a takeoff error, I assigned it to an estimator, the estimator that did the job. If it was something left off a of purchase order or work order, I assigned it to who actually produced the budget. If it's a scope of work issue, I assigned it to a super. And they had the following week to review, validate and fix those issues before we met again, reviewed the solutions and started the list from the next week. And what that does is, is it helps people take ownership and it fixes the problem on the back side, but you don't stop there. You wanna fix the problems going forward. So any open POs, make those corrections. The worst thing you can do is tell your supers that, hey, good news, I fixed this variance. I fixed this takeoff so you won't ever see it again, except for the next three months where you work through all purchase orders. That doesn't do anybody any good. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to them. It makes you look incompetent, which we know we're not. So we want to fix those things on the back end plus open POs. And just remember, the point of variance review is not just a yes or no. It's to eradicate them. You don't want to ever see it again. Ed, you got anything to add? Sure do. Um, <laughs> I like Kim's process, the once a week. And you have to actually get to the root cause. Just don't rubber stamp it. If you rubber stamp it, all you're doing is you're kicking it down the road and never deal with it. Really find out the root cause was it use was it delivery you know emma jay and i were to call with one of our builders yesterday the superintendent actually counted the lumber load 
in the course of a couple of weeks found $10,000 worth of errors on counting lumber loads. By the way, that wasn't extra, that was short. So get to the root cause and get everybody to be honest about the root cause. Just don't blame somebody else. Yeah. Okay, next is knowledge. So I, I really like this one coming from, from my background. Knowledge is power. We need to know our plans forwards and backwards. What's standard, what's not, what's included, what's not, how many plans do we have? When you go to talk to a trade partner, you need to know what's your plan lineup, what's it look like, and then when were they last sold? When you're sending stuff out to bid, you don't want to send something that hasn't been sold in five years. So knowledge in that aspect is, is knowing, hey, what do I have? When What's popular? What's not? Next is your specifications and features. What's included in every subdivision and why? Is it a deed requirement, HO requirement? That's important so that when you start looking at your specs to see where you can cut cost and clean up, if you don't know why it's there, you may change something that's critical. So you need to understand why it's there. Was it someone's just great idea? I mean, I had that a lot in my previous life and they didn't realize that great idea cost them five grand. So a good deal of our costs come from our building specs. We have to know them in order to negotiate or replace them. Next is our trade partners. Are you a big fish or a little fish? How much of your business is their business? How many crews do they have? How long does it take them to get the job finished? How long have they been in business? Can you count on them to be around? Where do they get their material? You know, if you were in purchasing during COVID, that was critical. And most of us didn't know that. We had to start digging and kind of panic and figure out how to help. Best advice I was given years ago was know your trades business better than they do. That helps you in negotiations. It helps you solve problems. So once again, knowledge is power there. Know your construction schedule. I know some, some of you, my team is saying, why does it matter? I'm not building houses. I don't care how many days it takes. You have to know what to negotiate in regards to crews, crew size, duration. It's our responsibility to get crews on the job at a good price and they can get the job done in a timely manner. Time is money in construction. So you need to understand your construction schedule. Next is hey, your Kim, back. I have a, a, yeah. Have one quick comment. Yeah. Years ago, it was common practice in the scope of working contract, actually contract for what crews are, are allotted to you, contract for how many people on a crew and contract for how many days are, are on that job uh, per cost code. The builders have done this. I call them very schedule-centric builders. They didn't lose that much time during COVID. The builders who had no idea were literally 50 to 100% over on schedules. That's a very important point there. Good job, Kim. And then know your backlog. So that's really important to your trades. And Emma Jane, you can go ahead and click the next one too. They go hand in hand. When you're trying to recruit new trade partners, it's all about numbers. They wanna know that you can keep them busy. So you need to know how many houses you have sold, not started. And you need to know what's coming down your pipeline. Know, hey, we have six communities opening up this year with a total of 800 lots. How does that sound to somebody versus, you know, we plan to grow by 20% next year. Know your numbers, know, know what's coming and know what you already have. And that will help you recruit new trade partners. For many of us, you know, things have slowed down a little bit, right? We don't have as many budgets to put out, as many starts to tackle. Now's the time to review your processes and procedures and get your house back in order. If you don't do that now, when things pick back up, you're going to really be kicking yourself in the butt for not taking care of it. 
So, so now's the time to kind of get your house back in order. Next page, Emma Jane. So I think we had a couple of questions submitted. Um, yeah, hold on, I'm trying to get out of. So while Emma Jane is doing that, last week Kim and I did a negotiating uh, seminar online. And that last piece that she just covered, we covered a lot in the negotiating seminar, including knowing your trades you know, as, as best you can. How much, how much of their work is with you? That's why I really like knowing what crews are mine. So that was a very good point. So sorry, Emma Jane, go ahead. Oh, no worries. Um, so I have, the, I have a couple questions. Um, first one, um, for onboarding, how do you always get supers to try new trades? We always get so much pushback. <clears throat> okay, so when you get pushback for that, what I found helps a lot is if you involve them in that process right up front when you're bringing the new trade, whether it's a framer or an HVAC company or a roofing company, it doesn't matter. If you bring, if you know what area you're going to put them in and you bring that production manager or even a super into the equation and let him be involved in reviewing scopes of work and setting expectations, then the your super now kind of feels like he owns that a little bit, right? Because all that means is that they've been burned. Somebody has sent a trade out to a job site that had no business being there. And the builder doesn't want a repeat of that. So if you involve him in the process, then he feels like he, he owns it. And he's a little responsible now. And I think you're going to get a much better response and a whole lot less pushback. Ed, do you have any other questions? 100% agree. The, the other thing we did as well was involve them. They were part of recruiting. We would also rate the trades and start to see mathematically the trades are behind. So I'm not changing trades just because I want to change. It's just I need to change the trades in order to keep going. So sometimes showing them trade capacity helps them understand we need to do this. I used to always say, who wants to be you know the, the guinea pig on the next trade? Most times the superintendents knew who was who, who needed the trade and they knew they were up. <laughs> um you talked about resource management. How many trades per category are too many? So, I mean, Ed, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it really kind of depends on your house count. So yes. what I end is saying, okay, if 80% of your house count is 300 houses and that guy quits or goes out of business tomorrow, how hard is he going to be able to replace with just one other guy? And if it's too many and it's too hard, then maybe you need to go a 70, 20, 10, or you could even do, you know, a 60, 30 and, you know, and 10, 10. But that's where you have to ask yourself, you know, your market, you should kind of know your trade base out there and know what's easy to replace and what's not, and then make that decision. Ed, do you have any other suggestions? Yeah, um, that's why I like knowing the capacity, looking at, so I worked with a builder last year and we did two different seminars with them. And the first thing what we did is identify the trades that were behind, had conversation with the trades, and then started either increasing their crews to us or go, look, math will, will, will tell you what you need to do. Um, so it really depends, like Kim said, plan count, how many communities you have, how many homes you need to do. And if you don't know the exact capacity of a trade, if I have a framer who says he's got five crews and can do whatever, say 10 houses a month, but I need 20 houses a month, that's a mathematical equation. Math doesn't lie. Kim and I laugh about that all the time. 
<laughs> as you work with builders, if you just get down to figure out that mathematical equation will point to you. And I always want to be recruiting. I may recruit and have somebody like, hey, listen, I, th I think you're right in the ballpark. If I'm unit priced, I can get square footage out of them and say, hey, listen, I got work coming up. Let's stay in contact. And always, always, always be recruiting and, and talking to trades. The other thing that we do all the time, um, purchasing is guilty of this, is well, I met somebody, I bid them once, and they came in high. Well, if you're always if just going sport bidding, you're never getting a good number. So you're lying to yourself about the number. So to Kim's point, always know as much about your trades. That's how you'll make your decisions. Mm -hmm. Chuck unmuted himself. I think he might have a comment. Oh, the, the only comment is recruiting all the time. And you might recruit. You need to build a bench. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, if, if you're, we're playing a game, just like baseball or football. How, how many people are on the, on the field? How many people are on the, on the bench? I'd like to have at least the people signed up and go through the, the uh, process uh, and get them signed up, and then I've got a I've got a bench ready to go. But too often the builders don't have a bench at all, and they all of a sudden have a problem with one of their trades, and it's like an act of God to try to get the, that trade replaced. And we're losing time on all our houses because we don't have any, anybody on the bench to step in. That's mm -hmm. that's part of the eighty twenty rule to have uh, at least two trades that are ready to go but the other thing you can look at is uh, i might not be out for bid right now but i've got a trade that comes in and, and i go through the process and maybe i sign him up and say we're not bidding right now but the next time we go you'll be asked to uh, submit and i've already done all the paperwork so there's no no lag time i've already got all this information and everything to go Hundred percent right. agree. We got lazy the last few years. Hmm. How many times do we fall in love with a contractor? <laughs> All right, um, I have one more. Actually, I have two more. Um, we're trying to bring on new trades right now, and we're struggling to get people to respond to our invitations to bid. How do we get new trades to engage? So, in in that case, <clears throat> you have to take a look at what you're asking. So are you sending them a generic email with a link to 50 plans that you're expecting them to bid? This is purchasing as a relationship business. It is all about people and connection. And I don't feel like you can really do that over email very successfully. There are some trades that you could handle over email, but in my experience, you know, mm -hmm. it, Real life examples right during COVID, everybody was busy, right? Everybody had more work than they could possibly handle. And my bid solicitor was sending out emails, hundreds of emails every day, invitation to bid, invitation to bid. And he wasn't getting any responses. So we switched tactics. He started picking up the phone, calling, giving his sales pitch on why they want to work with us and inviting them in for a brief meeting. And would you believe that in January, in the middle of COVID, we had 80 vendors come in in three weeks because it's a people business. It's all about that connection and that relationship. So, so you may want to try that. And then, like I said, look at what your plan count is. What are you, 
are you asking them to put in a ton of work before they even know anything about you? And if that's the case, they're probably going to skip and move on. Ed? So agree with Kim. I want another email in my inbox like I want a hole in the head. The vendors are beginning bombarded with, you know, everybody in the market, just, you know, invitation to bid. Number one is, is plan count as a problem. Number two, if you're not unitized pricing, that's, that's a problem. If I'm unitized pricing, it's very easy. You make it a commodity. All I am is, is giving me some numbers. My, and Kim's right. Phone call is good. I was very active in my local HBA. I'm a past president. I'm a life director. Um, I'm not the best golfer in the world, but I went to the golf outings. I sponsored golf outings. It's, Kim's 100% right. It's a people business. If I want to get a trade, if, there's, if a trade is looking for work, you've got five builders and four of them are, are emails and the other one is either a, a personal phone call or a, a uh, talking to at an HBA event, it's a whole different ball game. I'm going to an HBA event next Wednesday when I get home from uh, the Managing for Profit. There's, I probably will meet 100, have access to 150 trades in my market. I know most of them. To Chuck's point, I want to know every single HVAC contractor, electric con contractor. I want to know everybody in my market. That's purchasing's job. So an email blast, you're, you're going to bat zero. You know, phone calls are in person. Your batting average is going to go way up. That's the only way to recruit. Yeah. So I have a question that was just sent in. Um, this person would like to know how to reconcile with the trade after they have quiet us I'm, I think that might be quit us due to a bad relationship with a builder. <laughs> Man, so I, yeah, I have lots of personal experience with this in my previous life. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it really kind of depends on if you're saying with your specific super that they had a bad experience with. It's getting to the bottom of, of what happened and why. I like to say that there's three sides to every story, right? My side, your side, and somewhere in the middle is the truth. And if you can get to the root of what that problem was and then resell yourself, I mean, how long is the relationship? Is it a, has it been a five-year working relationship with this trade partner and they're ready to call it quits because of a bad experience with one guy? You know, that that math doesn't add up because you don't want to throw away that investment, right? You have a great relationship with them. So it's it's bringing them in. A lot of people respond versus, you know, they react versus respond. And so it may have been an emotional lash out that, hey, I'm quitting. And so you want to you want to really do trades emotional. Are you kidding me? Never happened. <laughs> so and especially you know, never mind. I won't even say that, Ed. But um, Ed, what do you have to add to this? So Kim's one hundred percent right. Whenever I had a trade call up, first of all, if I'm if I'm talking to my trades on a regular basis, quick phone calls, text, whatever, keeping in contact, I hope hope I have a good enough relationship. I'll hear about it in advance. If I hear about it in advance, that's an immediate job site meeting. Myself, as, as operations, purchasing, production manager, superintendent, foreman, owner. I don't want to try and reconcile it. If I've got a superintendent and a foreman, they're just like two hockey teams. As soon as they get in the room together, they're dropping the gloves. I'm going to, I'm going to part those two, maybe reassign that work, whatever. Um, but if I have a good trade, I'm not going to lose it over one superintendent. Conversely, I'm going to back my superintendent. If I have a bad trade and they're not giving him respect, I'm going to get to the root cause of that. I might have a good superintendent, 
and that one trade is not treating them with respect. So the bottom line, as I want to get to get to that bottom line, figure out the problem, either reconcile, uh, separate them, or figure out what that root cause is. We always laugh that the key to um, consulting is just literally ask the question why five times. Certainly, later we get to that root that root cause. If I have that field meeting and I know my superintendent's right, or if my superintendent's wrong, I'm going to address it right there on the spot. More often than not, my superintendent's not getting the respect from the trade. And see, Ellen gets ratcheted up, gets a little heated. That's when things get a little dicey. So I want to get the root cause. Lately, every time I've heard about this situation, it's usually the trades not giving that superintendent respect, not keeping the schedules, not sending crew size. And they're, you know, once I find out the cause, I'll make my decision from there. I don't want to lose a trade over something like that because they talk. They talk like school kids, setting notes, passing texts, their eight day events. I don't want to get that reputation in the market. I want to be the reputation that, yeah, we had a problem, but Kim and Ed came in and we, and we resolved it. That's how I want to handle that. Somehow make a resolution. In, yeah. in all my years, I've literally have had about only a handful of trades that I parted ways with because we, could, we couldn't make it work. All the rest of the time, you know, make it work. If you have a follow-up question to that, feel free to um, submit a, a second question. Um, I have another question. Um, how would you recommend smaller production builders, 18 to 20 homes per year, to secure the best purchasing cost and best practices for quality control? So there's two questions in there. And this kind of goes back to a little bit what we were talking about last week when we were doing our negotiating class. Because it doesn't necessarily matter your size. You still can figure out a way to, man to get costs under control. Is that right, Kim? Yes. So, you know, I don't know if you saw me chuckle a little bit, but I just built my own personal house and you don't feel like you have any negotiating power until you are building a single house one time. <laughs> and it's like, I have nothing to offer. So you're doing a little better than, than I did with 18 to 20. And just because you're a smaller builder, doesn't mean you don't have anything to offer. So it goes back to, I keep saying knowledge, but in this case, what are your other builders doing in your market that maybe trades don't like? Start looking at the things you do better than they do. And you, and you want to pitch that. You want to pitch why they want to work for you for reasons other than house count. Is your pay cycle better? Is your scope of work better? Is your team better? there's other things you can offer them that those other builders can't being a small builder. Ed? I agree, Kim. I mean, you felt the pain doing one house, you know, um, I've worked for Chuck for about 10 years now. And as Chuck always says, it's hard to quit being a builder. So I still build and I can build between three and 15 houses a year in the last 10 years. A lot of it is having those relationships always out there looking. I have a, a lot of trades who don't want to work for a large public, who don't want to work for the large regional, um, enjoy more of that smaller size and style builder. Um, again, it's the relationships. Uh, I got a couple of houses, hopefully we'll start soon. I've been talking to my framer and he will actually slot me and tell somebody who's going to do 50 houses or hundred houses a year that he has another job. So a lot of it is just getting out, talking, uh, relationship, having the best process, the best systems. In this case, the framer knows knows how to build my houses, know what I, knows what I expect, knows my scope, uh, knows I have the best lumber list. 
knows they have the best field supervision. So a lot, so a lot of those trades don't want to work for the large builder. So you got to sell yourself at that point as being that right size builder and attract them. I don't care what market you're in. Not all trades want to work for plan count. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it doesn't come down to the actual dollar number that you're paying. There's other things to take into consideration as well. Is that correct, Ed and Kim? I would say yes. Um, I know my framer can work for somebody else for more money. Uh, however, even on my small volume, he knows that we look at it and we say it's a eight-day house, and he knows the lumber is going to be correct every single time. Um, that's a big part of it. Right. Um, what are some of your best practices for quality control as a as a purchasing department? Are, are we asking for quality control on budgets and estimating or question, how to quality control? generally quality control? So I can't say for sure one way or the other, but I would imagine it's probably quality control of the product. What, how do you, how, can you manage that at all from the purchasing department? Ed, do you want to, do you have anything to chime in on this one? Uh, yeah, I would. Um, in my old world, since I started out life in the production side and then got into purchasing and then oversaw both, um, I think purchasing and production have to work together. Um, as I'm recruiting and onboarding, I want to make sure the trade understands what my quality standard is. Here's my, here's my, here's my um, scope. Here's my checklist. Here's my quality standard. Um, before I brought any trade on board ever, I always walked with the trade um, my existing product. This is my, my expectations. I'll stick with framers for a second. You know, this is how we do things. This is exactly how we do things. So part of part of my job in purchasing is selling that quality. When I hand off the production, we have to be in sync, knowing that I know purchasing walked with you because you know, my my other superintendents with you. This is not how we do things. This is our expectation. So if both sides are on the same same playing field you have a lot better chance. One of my things is whenever doing um, uh, purchasing and some of the other classes, I ask, how often do you get out in the field? And when the answer is never, that's a bad answer. I was with a builder a few weeks ago and purchasing had way too much material in sight, probably the worst I've seen in a while. Um, and by the way, purchasing never got out in the field. I want those two to be a team. Um, purchasing, if I'm onboarding, make time. Don't go to the office. I call it the, the black hole. Don't go to the black hole and never get out. Get, get up early, hit the job site at seven, be done the job site by nine, in the office by 9.30. Make a point to hit the job sites. The trades will respect you. Your supers will respect you. The production manager will respect you. And that's a great way to start instilling the schedule, the quality. Get your eyes on the product. Have a conversation with that trade. Just don't delegate it to your superintendent and expect them to have have to do it all themselves, back them up. So yeah. Rachel it, wants to know how often you would recommend the purchasing department get out in the field to meet with builders at the job site. So my, my baseline recommendation is once a week, depending on your size. Uh, pick you, pick, so in my old world, Tuesday and Thursday, I was never in the office till noon. I was always, it was blocked out that way. That was by design. In my purchasing world, I try to get it at least once a week. Um, I heard a builder recently that, that, that told his purchasing part, department was the 80-20 rule. Okay, production manager, we look at them at about 50-50. So 
make, you know, get to a point where you're on a job site at seven, get your, get done. And by minimum, you can be in back in the office and by 10 and got something done. If you go to the office, it's just a waste of time. And it's hard to get back out. I'd say at least a, try for half a morning to a full morning per week. If you've got multiple people in the department, figure out how you share, share that. Get eyes on the ground. You can't, it's hard to manage from inside. You can't see what you're, what you're buying. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to chime in too and just state that just like, you know, right now we've had a hard time hiring, right? Your trade partners are the same way. They're hiring guys with little experience. And so a lot of your quality issues are coming from that. So you can work with your trade partners as well and come up with a, hey, job ready, job complete. This is what job complete looks like because the owners of that electrical company, that HVAC company, the plumber, they want the job 100% done before their guy leaves. And, and let's face it, typically they're going to finish about 90% of it and go done and walk out. So if you have a list of, hey, this is what job complete looks like, work with your trade partners to come up with that and then hand that off to your supers. So they have a checklist of things to look for to say, yes, they're 100% done and yes, it's right. That's, so, uh, that's also a big help for the, uh, the trade. I mean, Absolutely. If you give him a checklist and say, this is what I consider complete, a repeat trip for him is, is lost money because he's probably on piecework. Mm -hmm. And if he, has to, if he has to come back, he's lost a half a day of, of production time. So kind of, kind of on that same tagline, but not really, we have a question sometimes with variances. And so this comes to a point where something's not ready or done correctly, obviously. Um, we want to back charge another trade. Who should, be, who should be the one to communicate that to the trade about being back charged, purchasing or the field, the builder? In my world, it's whoever wrote, my world, it's whoever wrote the back charge. It's the super intense making the back charge. It's their responsibility to make that call. And the reason why I say I'm going to delegate that to whoever's writing it, because I, I can't answer for the superintendent. I'm back charging because you didn't clean or whatever it might be. But I want to work towards the, the no back charge environment. If the superintendent or purchasing, whoever wrote the VPO is making that phone call, you have the opportunity to correct the wrong going forward. If I have superintendents, just writing or production managers or a purchasing manager, doesn't matter, then somebody else has got to answer that call. If you're writing the back charge, you, you got to step up, make that phone call and have that conversation. Again, communication. Hey, Mr. Drywall, man, I really hate to say, but it's like the third time that you know, my painter is getting getting held uh, held up and spending time. I covered the last two. You're on your own. I want to, I'll, you want to nip it in the bud and have that conversation. So he who wrote it makes the phone call. Very simple. Did you have anything else to add, Kim? No, that was, okay. that was perfect. Thanks, I, have, I have another question from Hunter. How do you approach variances related to site conditions? Example, rock, concrete, excavation, removal, et cetera. So in my world, I'm, I'm a, a North of uh, Philadelphia, so I'm in the Northeast. Uh, we have a lot of those. Um, our best practice on site conditions is if I'm buying a small subdivision and, and it it's comes as is, I want to go address as much as I can in advance my lot condition budgets on a per house basis, which means 
myself, production, whoever needs to walk that site. And that becomes part of a lot cost. Um, rock, for example, if I have a heavily rock uh, environment and I know it, I should know, know about it in advance and actually set some budgets. If I have um, fill, grade, uh, short soil, excessive soil, I want to know about it in advance. Whenever we buy from a developer, there should be a handoff. Uh, whenever I buy raw ground myself, I'm assigning that value per lot. Okay, I don't put that value in per lot in, on POs. I have that in my site number. I don't want to try and manage it, but I've got to set the... What I see all the time is we don't even think we have a site number. You should. You should have some sort of a budget um, for that kind of conditions. Steep slopes, rock, bad mm -hmm. soils, extra concrete. Um, I like walking it in advance and doing my best job as a team, assigning on a per lot basis my best guess at site cost. That are, if I'm buying a large subdivision, I want a scope of work. What's my expectations? Zero balance. I have zero balance. Somebody else is on the hook, not me. My last 12 lot subdivision, the site contractor got awarded, said zero balance. At the end, I had 20,000 yards, and there was no argument. He had to get rid of 20,000 yards. Yeah. Yeah. So in my previous life, we had what we just called a lot check form. And when we first opened a community, the production manager, quality control, warranty, they'd all go out and walk every single lot together, fill out that lot check form on what was needed, yep. and those things would get loaded into the budget ahead of time. Um, Absolutely. One final comment from Hunter. He says, Ed, go Sixers. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> So we had to get that one in there. Um, so it's, it's it's been a good year for us between the Phillies and the Eagles and now the Sixers. I hope the, the Phillies are going to do well again. So uh, thank you, Hunter. <laughs> well, I don't have any other questions. I'm going to kind of start to close down here. Please feel free to continue asking questions as I finish up um, a couple slides. Um, I just want to remind everybody, we have so many different services that we offer here at Shin Consulting and Builder Partnerships to help um, you become a profitable builder, improve your process and procedures, and just ultimately become a builder of choice. Some of the things we offer are rebates through our rebate program. We offer online, live, and um, on-demand and webinars for you to continue your training. We also offer remote and on-site consulting. So anytime you need any assistance with production or purchasing or um, processes and procedures, any of that kind of stuff. Um, we have Ed and Kim and a slew of other um, consultants as well. And something else that kind of gets forgotten, but how it's so incredibly valuable are surveys that we offer. Um, if you're looking to see how you stack up against um, your against your um, trades and what they think of you, we have a builder of choice so that we send a survey out to all your trades and we let you know what they think of you so you can make adjustments. We also do the same thing for um, you're for employees, so you can be an employer of choice. Um, we also have our builder groups, which we have a couple of spots left open in, a couple, in one or two of our builder groups. Um, it's basically a support group for builders. This is an opportunity <laughs> for you to get together with other build, builders that are similar size and similar philosophies, um, where you really challenge each other to become better. We, I was sitting through a builder group meeting yesterday and one of the builders in the group called out the other builder and said, hey, you keep saying the same thing every time you come here and you don't change. And um, the, the builder sat on that for a little bit and came back the next day and he goes, hey, thanks for calling me out. I really need to evaluate why I keep coming up with the same answers 
and with the same results. And so he's going back to really improve his processes and procedures when he gets home. So if you're looking to join a builder group, contact me directly and I'll see what I can do to get you into a builder group. Um, I mentioned rebates earlier. Here's some of the companies that we work with. So if you're using any one of these companies, you should contact us at Builder Partnerships and we'll help get you set up to um, start getting rebate dollars back in your pocket. Um, we have, obviously I talked about our consulting team, but I wanna talk to you real quick about some of our seminars that are coming up. Um, Kim mentioned as a, Ed's bringing the puppy out. Ed, <laughs> Kim and Ed mentioned how important it is for you guys to also understand the schedule and what's, um, and how, the, how you affect the schedule. We have a scheduling for profit seminar that's gonna be here in Denver, Colorado on April 20th and 21st. Ed will be our trainer for that one. Um, we just opened it up. We have about, we have just a few spots left. We have about 10 spots, 10 to 15 spots total for that program. So please feel free to contact me directly or go on to our website at builderpartnerships.com to register for that. We also opened up a second superintendent class for the spring season um, in Raleigh, North Carolina. That one is filling up quickly. I don't think I have too many spots left. It, it got filled up pretty quickly right away. We just opened that up on Monday. So make sure if you are needing to get some of your superintendents or builders um, some extra training to understand how their um, job impacts the profitability of your organization, that is the best seminar to um, send them to. They really start to understand and take ownership of their um, positions. And finally, last but not least, we have our webinar Wednesdays that we are continuing. We have a new format. I hope you all like our new format that we've started where we have a short presentation and open it up for dialogue with questions and answers from yourself and questions amongst the, the presenters. Um, we have a webinar. We don't have a title for it yet. We, we're getting that title together, but it will be in two weeks from today. Next week, there will be no webinar Wednesday. We'll all be at Managing for Profit in Atlanta. I believe we have a couple spots left open for that one as well. Um, it'll be a conversation between Ed and Brad Bombardier um, from Reality Concepts, and they're gonna be talking about sales, um, uh, social media, online marketing, and how that relates to production and building and, and how you guys, how we can work together to really um, build up the recognition of a builder. Ed, do you want to share? Because you're kind of the brainchild on that. So I'll let you give a little brief overview yeah. of what we're going to be talking about there. I was working with, so two weeks ago, whatever it was, we did a whole thing on reducing your cost, not your profit. And as working with the builder after that seminar to reduce his cost, reduce his plan, um, dollar amount, everything else, I told him you have to also be in conjunction with uh, your, your website company on how to market that. So from that, Brad and I were talking, we put a plan in place and we actually got the guys, the builders uh, plan was um, Zoom, ow, his, um, um, his Google hits up by starting adver advertising coming soon, the new prices. As soon as he hit that, that point in Google land, his, his, his web hits went up. Um, so it's really, I'm gonna have my presentation. I'm gonna talk through it with Brad how do I take that effort and combine it with my, my marketing effort in Google Ads? Excellent. Thank you, Ed. Um, so it looks like we don't have any more questions for today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate spending time with you on Wednesdays. This is a fun hour for all of us. Um, 
it lifts our spirits to be with our builders and helping you guys um, improve whatever it is we're talking about on that particular day. So with that, I'm gonna say goodbye for today. Um, if you have any questions um, about the purchasing um, uh, topic we had today, feel free to contact Kim at shinconsulting.com. You're welcome to contact Ed for anything, um, particularly in production, that's his specialty. Um, and he's at ed at shinconsulting.com. And you're welcome to contact me with any other questions at ejswilder at shinconsulting.com. But with that, I want to thank you all for joining us this webinar Wednesday. I hope you all have a great rest of your week. And we'll see you in two weeks for a presentation with Ed and Brad Bombardier. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks, Thanks, everybody.